Hey there, future fans! This week, out of all the podcast joints in all of the towns in the world, you walk into mine. This is the week of July 31st, 2020, and this is episode 176 of Future Flicks with Billiam. everyone welcome to the show it's been a while and i, I should have just told you that you know what i'm lazy coronavirus is making me lazy because it's like i could do this show but there's no movies coming out no no one relying on me for their future movie knowledge no one no one needs my existence at this time so maybe i'll take an extra week off i i don't know But I did, and I did have a good birthday, and now it is time to get back to work and to get back to you, my future fans. Well, quite a bit has happened since the last episode. I have quite a few news stories, quite a few trailers, and just a reminder, if I sound different between certain parts of the show... Once again, I record now in, in in parts. I record the movies as one thing. Sometimes I break them into two. And then I record the intro, news, and trailers as a different one. But you don't need to know all that. What you do need to know is what it is you're listening to. And currently, you are listening to my voice. My name is Billiam. This is a show called Future Flicks with Billiam. And on this show, normally we do things a bit differently. Normally, when there's not a pandemic and when we can go out and do things, I discuss all the movies coming out during the week. It's a weekly show. I discuss every movie that is coming out on Friday and I get my thoughts on it based on the trailer. But now during this time, I am just watching random movies that are on. I'm trying to make sure they're on a streaming service and... Then I give my thoughts on it and a review. These are spoiler-filled reviews, so just a word of warning there. And this week, the four movies we're talking about, we're talking about Eurovision on Netflix, My Spy on Amazon Prime, Hamilton on Disney+, and the throwback film, and one that's not for free on streaming, is Casablanca. Of course, I didn't check Canopy or the other library uh, movie streaming service, so you might want to check there, but... If you like movies at all, you really should own Casablanca. And I say that as someone who had to borrow it from my parents. But, you know, do as I say, not as I do in this case. So without further ado, let us step into our first segment, which, as always, is the news. This just in from Hollywood, the news. Since the last episode, my friends, we have lost quite a few people. And... Uh, If I miss some of them, I haven't done it on purpose. I try to save the stories in a news app that my wife recommended to me, and sometimes I forget to save them. So if I forget anyone, it's not personal. I have nothing against them. But let's start with John Saxon, who passed away. He passed away at the age of 83. He is best known for movies like A Nightmare on Elm Street, the original, and Enter the Dragon. Oh, and he was also in the 1974 Black Christmas. Wow, he's... He's done more than I remember. 1991's The Arrival, uh, The Last Samurai. Wow, I, I... 
Oh, The Last Samurai, not Last Samurai. Uh, the Last Samurai was a movie from 1990 starring uh, John Fujioka and Lance Henriksen. Wow, I, I should watch this. I have never even heard of this. So yes, he was 83. Next up in the news, out of many movies that were pushed back recently because of the coronavirus, The Conjuring 3 has been pushed back to June 2021. Which always blows my mind, because when I think of horrors, I think of late spring, early summer, don't you? Sometimes I think of midwinter for horrors. Like, if they were actually trying to push these horror movies so they would get a release on streaming or DVD, Blu-ray, video on demand around Halloween, I would get that. But either that's not the case, or when it comes out, they don't do anything to push it. And so it makes me wonder, why do so many of these movies, like like the last Insidious movie, I remember talking about that vividly on the show, and that came out in January, January 2018. It's like, come on, just a couple months earlier, you could have made it to Halloween. And especially in the Halloween season, or even early October, we're going to be more forgiving or at least more interested in horror movies even if they don't look great like i like the insidious series but let's let's be honest i wasn't holding my breath for the last key but even then during that time people are just more down to watch horror so why not release it then and a story from the verge netflix is making a 200 million dollar movie starring ryan gosling and chris evans and it's a spy movie directed by the russo brothers it's a movie called the gray man and it's a familiar plot ryan gosling is an assassin and former spy, Chris Evans is a bad CIA agent tasked with hunting down Ryan Gosling. And this is directed by Joe and Anthony Russo, who did Avengers Endgame and, you know, quite a few of the Marvel movies. This next story comes to us from IndieWire, and I decided I'm not going to fully talk about it because it can still change because this story that came out 11 days ago is a updated calendar of all of the movies that would have been released thus far this year. And I thought I wouldn't go in depth on it for a couple reasons. One is because it's still changing. These things are still going to change, even though Tenet has a supposedly solid release date now, which we'll talk about later. Other other companies are being more careful with their movies, realizing that if sh- is still bad maybe people don't want to go out to theaters in a you know sitting next to all these other people realizing that maybe some of these assholes out there don't know how to wear a face mask every day at the store i work at we have to ask people to pull their mask over their goddamn nose and unless you are somehow mentally challenged or mentally incompetent some something like that unless you have some sort of disability i would excuse that But if you don't, then you are just a huge idiot. And why are you breathing my air? You waste of space. So anyway, yes, I won't give you this list because you know what? Things are still changing. And guess what? When movies start coming out again, I will bring the show back to the way it once was. And from the look of things right now, it won't be until at least September when things go back to even a facsimile of normal. Next up in the news, Grant Imahara, host uh, one of the co-hosts of Mythbusters and White Rabbit Project and visual effects person who worked on movies like The Matrix Reloaded, Star Wars Episode One, and uh, The Lost World Jurassic Park, passed away at the age of 49. 
In unfortunately similar news, actress Kelly Preston has passed away at the age of 57. She was known for movies like Jerry Maguire, The Cat in the Hat, Battlefield Earth, a few episodes of the of the show Medium, and unfortunately best known for not the work she's done, at least in my opinion, but I remember her for being the wife of actor John Travolta. This next story, my future friends, comes to us from Bam Smack Pow. I've never heard of that, but sure. So if you remember, for quite a while, people were talking about releasing the Snyder Cut of Justice League and how everyone wanted to see the Snyder Cut and how apparently it was supposed to be a much better movie because Zack Snyder had one idea and then he had to leave. He stopped working on the film. And then we had Joss Whedon come in after Zack Snyder had to walk away because of the death of his daughter. And so it seems like things got all muddled. Well, what you may have not heard or may have heard is that there's a rumored Schumacher cut of Batman Forever. Batman Forever, if you remember, is the first of the two Joel Schumacher Batmans that is that were came hot on the heels of Batman and Batman Returns by Tim Burton. Joel Schumacher did Batman Forever and Batman and Robin which at the time were critically panned and hated, but now people, it seems like people look back on it more fondly. I always liked the films, though I couldn't compare them to Batman and Batman Forever, or sorry, Batman and Batman Returns, because the first two were just better quality movies, while the second two were just fun. Fun and ridiculous. Well, apparently there is a 170-minute cut of Joel Schumacher's Batman Forever that will probably never come out. And apparently there are quite a few reasons it will never see the light of day. One of them is some people wonder if it's even survived this long. And then also, was the full cut even finished enough to be able to be released? Especially because Joel Schumacher isn't around anymore to finish anything that needs to be finished. In a story from Variety, Jurassic World Dominion has resumed shooting despite rumors of a halt in shooting due to COVID-19. In another fun story, not actually news, but fun story from IndieWire, apparently Vivica A. Fox has talked a big game about a idea she had for another Kill Bill movie. This one would cast Zendaya as Vivica A. Fox's character's Vernita Green's daughter, and this would have Zendaya going after Uma Thurman. And yeah, sure, I'd want to see that. In a story from CBR.com, apparently Chris Hemsworth is going to bulk up in order to play Hulk Hogan in a forthcoming Hulk Hogan biopic. My question is, will he also practice being a creepy asshole just like Hulk Hogan? And in another story, this from Entertainment Weekly, it's not really news. I just kind of want to pat myself on the back for this. They are talking about how Fantastic Beasts is now one of the most problematic movie franchises because of three key players. First, we have Ezra Miller, who was in that viral video shown choking a fan. So he's the least problematic so far. We also have Johnny Depp, who, even though I've mentioned recently, it's still unclear if if he was a victimizer at all, or if it was all Amber Heard, or what I think is more likely, it's kind of both of them being asshole. But abuse allegations and just drunken tirades from Johnny Depp. And then we have... We have J.K. Rowling being a huge trans-hating biatch. So I'm thinking maybe they should just stop the series. Because the first movie was good. The second one was horrible. And I, I'm i just over it. I, I'm over it right now. Even though I love Eddie Redmayne. Even though I love and Dan Fogler and Catherine Waterston. Even though I love the fact that they added 
Jude Law. They added Jude Law in the last movie, and I love that. Despite all that, I I would be okay if they just stopped entirely. In this next story from IndieWire, Charlize Theron reacts to the uh, to the fact that they're making a Furiosa prequel movie, a prequel to Mad Max Fury Road, but she will not be playing Furiosa because they're going for a younger Furiosa. How many times can I say Furiosa in this episode? Well, she says it is heartbreaking and tough to swallow. And she goes on to say, yeah, it's a little heartbreaking for sure. I really love that character and I'm so grateful that I had a small part in creating her. She will forever be someone I think of and reflect on fondly. Obviously, I would love to see that story continue. In this next story from IndieWire, the director of Black Widow, Kate Shortland, says that this film will hand the baton to Florence Pugh, who she hopes will replace Black Widow, Scarlett Johansson, in the MCU. And in my opinion, I know Anne agrees with me, more Florence Pugh is better. In our next story from Digital Spy, this isn't actually news, it's just good to know. Apparently, Charlize Theron says we've been saying her name wrong. Yeah, it's Charlie's. No, I'm kidding. That's not the part we've been saying wrong. It's her last name, and I purposely said it wrong to not spoil it for you guys. You're welcome. So she says it's actually French. It's a French name, but in South Africa, if you are Afrikaans-speaking, you would say Thron. And if you were English-speaking, you would say Theron. So I guess her name and what we're going to call her now, because I totally won't forget, is Charlie's Theron. Unless you speak Afrikaans, in which case you'd say Thron. And our final story is about actress Olivia de Havilland, who passed away on the 26th at the ripe old age of 104. She was known for movies like Gone with the Wind, The Adventures of Robin Hood, The Errol Flynn Robin Hood, and 1952's My Cousin Rachel. Well, my future friends, if I miss any story that you thought I should have talked about, as always, let me know and I will discuss it in the next episode. But for now... Let us take a break as we hear a word from our friends at the Somewhat Nerdy Radio Podcast. Please stay tuned. Are you looking for a nerd podcast that touches on every walk of nerd culture? Well, look no further. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is the podcast for you. We cover nerd culture, news, new movie reviews, bad movie reviews, video games, comics, with sprinkles of nerdy nostalgia throughout. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is a flagship podcast of the Somewhat Nerdy Podcast Network. Find us on every podcast app or stream it on somewhatnerdy.com. Good journey, nerds. All right, we are back. We are back with everyone's favorite segment, The Trailer Trove. Avast, and welcome to The Trailer Trove. All right, my future friends, the first trailer in this trailer trove uh, is something that came out today, and I'm recording this on July 29th. It's a documentary called Happy, Happy, Joy, Joy, the Ren and Stimpy story. Yes, this is a documentary about the creation and life of the show or the cartoon Ren and Stimpy. And I have to say, as a documentary, the trailer makes it look pretty dark because apparently it's about... Everything that went into the show and the eventual fall of the show, and it seems like the downward spiral one of the creators, John Crickflousey, I believe is how you say it, uh, went through. And if he didn't actually go through some downward spiral, I'm very sorry to him and his family, just because the the trailer really does make it clear who is kind of spiraling in it. But it blows my mind that Ren and Simpy, 
it felt like it was on forever. It was on for five years and it was 54 episodes, but I thought it was much longer than that. But either way, if you have any interest in this, it comes out August 14th, supposedly. Next up, folks, we have a trailer for a movie called Made in Italy that is supposedly (laughs) coming out on August 7th. I really doubt it is still, but you know what? It could be just for going to theaters and going straight to VOD because this isn't a big release anyway. The biggest name in it is Liam Neeson. And it does look cute, though. This is about a bohemian artist who travels from London to Italy with his estranged son to sell the house they inherited from his late wife. And apparently selling this house is going to cause some emotions for both of them because the son doesn't remember the mother. And there's this quote in the trailer where the dad says, you can't remember her, but I can't forget. So as they're renovating the house in hopes to sell it, the son meets someone, a local person who's in love with the house, and guess who also meets someone? The dad, who who kind of has some chemistry with the real estate agent. So we have a romance comedy, not a romantic comedy, because I, I would not put this in that genre, but a romance that has some comedy in it, or maybe really slice of life, we can say, that has, that has Liam Neeson not killing anyone, which is weird for me. See, it's weird for me to see him not killing anyone or not punching, uh, punching wolves. That's something else he's really good at. But it looks good. It looks cute. And it's coming out maybe August 7th. Speaking of August 7th, the next movie we're talking about is a film called The Tax Collector. This is directed by David Ayer, who you totally know because he did movies. Such happy, super happy, wonderful, joyous films like uh, End of Watch, Fury, Sabotage, Bright, Street Kings. Oh, and Suicide Squad. He did that too. So this film is about Shia LaBeouf, the actual cannibal, who is a crime lord. And the main character is technically uh, played by Bobby Soto, this guy named David, who works for this crime lord as a tax collector. So they go around collecting money from all of the street gangs in L.A. Why? if I know, like if they don't pay, are they going to get audited? I do not know. But the, the thing is that one of the his boss's old rivals show up and guess what? Shit goes crazy and it's going to get violent. And this is not a movie for me. I don't like movies that get really dark and dirty about the gang life. Like End of Watch, I thought had some fantastic performances in it, but it's just super dark and just suffocating. And, oh, maybe you've heard about this part of the story. I forgot to talk about this in the news, but luckily we're watching this trailer. The actual cannibal himself tattooed his entire body for this role. For a single role in a film that probably won't even do terribly well because it's supposed to come out August 7th, this dude tattooed his whole body because he is f***ing weird. A great actor, a fantastic actor, but he's f***ing weird. But if you like these like violent, hyper-realistic crime movies, try this. My future friends, next up, we have a teaser trailer for Halloween Kills, a movie I'm very excited for, but I think it kind of has a dumb name. But either way, the teaser trailer came out, and it's just basically showing what happens directly after the end of the first movie. And I think it was good enough to whet the appetite had this movie still been coming out this year. It has now, or a while back actually, was pushed back a full year to October 15th, 2021. So this is written and directed by the same director who did the Halloween 
reboot has the same main cast, but we all will have to wait until next year. All right, next up, we have the opening scene and a new trailer for The New Mutants, which is supposedly going to come out this year. Maybe. I don't know. It's A, it's been pushed back so many times that I just don't believe it when they say it's coming out. Also, Corona. So there's that. But this new, this opening scene was just okay. I mean, I I don't really get when they show us scenes like that because it's just like, okay, there, there we go. We have no real context for it. And it's just maybe to whet the appetite, but I would only really get that if it was something people were super excited for. But I think the excitement for this has gone down a lot. However, this new trailer actually makes me want to see the movie. None of the trailers before this have done that. All of the other trailers looked awful. They looked so bad, but this one looked good. And it finally showed how they were going to do this this X-Men themed or New Mutant themed horror movie, but people of powers. And so this is the one that stars Macy Williams as Wolfsbane, Anya Taylor-Joy as Magic, Charlie Heaton as Cannonball, Blue Hunt as Mirage, and Henry Zaga as Sunspot. A really nice collection there of people you would know if you're familiar with the X-Men. And I like Anya Taylor-Joy, and I like the character of Magic, but I always just thought that she had one of the laziest names in the X-Men canon. She's like, oh, what what are your powers? Oh, and what's your name? Magic. It's like, hey, you, you can shoot beams out of your eyes, and you have this visor that makes you look like you have one eye. What's your name? Cyclops. You are a big, blue, furry thing. What's your name? Beast. So, you know, the X-Men haven't always been great with names. So supposedly right now, August 28th, but we'll see. And I will, of course, update you when that changes. All right, future friends. Next up, we have the trailer for Bill and Ted Face the Music. Yes, this is the long-awaited sequel to uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. This does bring back Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter as Ted and Bill. And this also stars Bridget Lundry Payne from Atypical and Samara Weaving from Ready or Not. Uh, Bridget Lundry Payne plays Ted's daughter. Samara Weaving plays Bill's daughter. And if you haven't heard the premise yet, Bill and Ted basically have to save the world. They have to create this great song that's going to save the world. And uh, they get into time travel shenanigans by doing it. But the, t- the whole time they're doing that, their daughters, who are basically just younger female Bill and Ted's, are getting into trouble as well. So expect the same level goofy, just better CG. And I'm very excited. I think this looks really, really good because what really do you expect from a Bill and Ted sequel? This is exactly what I expect. This is exactly what I want. And so far, the release date for this is September 1st, 2020. Two more movies left in the trove. My future friends, the next movie or the next trailer is one for a film called An American Pickle. This is an HBO Max original movie starring Seth Rogen and Seth Rogen. How, you may ask? Movie magic. This is about an immigrant worker at a pickle factory who is accidentally preserved for a 100 years and wakes up in modern-day Brooklyn, and he then goes and looks for his, or someone finds his great-great-grandson or something. Sorry, just one great. A great-grandson who's also played by Seth Rogen. So this film is about how the the man that's been preserved for a hundred years comes to term with that, comes to term with the fact that his wife is dead, that he never got to live his life with her. 
and the fact that his son or his great grandson's kind of a loser. And it's about how he wants to start selling pickles, but then they go back to visit the home country. It's it seems like an straight up indie comedy. That's a vibe I get from it, even though HBO Max, not an indie producer. But it gives me that vibe. It gets me that vibe like I would not have been surprised if this was an A24 picture. And Seth Rogen in some of these pictures looks really good as an as an old um, old dude old-timey person because there's this black and white picture that's the main picture for Amer- an american pickle on imdb and if you had showed me that and said hey this is seth rogan's great-grandfather i would be like i believe this 100 percent fun fact about this movie it's based off a short story by simon rich called sellout which is available to read for free on the new yorker website this comes out on hbo max on august 6th and my future friends finally In the trailer trove, the last film of this segment, we have a film called Sputnik. This is a Russian sci-fi horror movie that looks pretty good. It's being released in America by IFC Midnight. So, you know, the, uh, the company that IFC puts its darker movies in. And this is about the lone survivor of an enigmatic spaceship incident hasn't come back home, but instead is being held by the government. This woman, this other, this scientist is asked to come in and study him. And it's because they know there's an alien creature living inside of him. And he has no idea. Check out the trailer for this. I think it looks really good. And hopefully this will come to some sort of streaming service. Because I don't see it um, I don't see it doing terribly well in the VOD market. Just because who knows about this film besides you. Well, my future friends, I looked through the YouTubes. Through all of the YouTubes and see no more trailers to talk about. But if somehow... My expert Google Foo has missed anything. As always, let me know and I'll talk about it in the next episode. But for now, let us take our next break as we hear a word from our friends at the Nerds of the Squared Circle. Please stay tuned. Nerds of the Squared Circle on SomewhatNerdy.com Nerds of the Squared Circle on SomewhatNerdy.com Nerds of the Squared Circle on SomewhatNerdy.com Hi, I'm Sam Jericho of SomewhatNerdy.com's Nerds of the Squared Circle. Join me... Snarf Chris and the dude with the headband. We talk about wrestling and more wrestling. Do you like wrestling? Yeah! yeah. Then you should listen to our podcast. Do you not like wrestling? You should still listen to our podcast. Someone to read a comms, Nerds in the Squared Circle. Subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app today. Nerds in the Squared Circle on SomewhatNerdy.com. All right, my future fans, once again, I am recording this over multiple days to try and spread out the work, so if my voice sounds a little different, that could be why. So let's start the movies this week with our throwback film, which was Casablanca. This is the movie from 1942, and it is starring Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman, Paul Henrand, and Claude Rains. This film is about a cynical American expatriate struggling to decide whether or not he should help his former lover and her fugitive husband escape from Morocco. French Morocco, to be uh, more precise. And I think it is important to note that it is French Morocco, because you're watching this old film that takes place in North Africa, and why are all these white people there? Well, they actually do a good job of explaining it in the film, because this film takes place during, and was actually filmed in and uh, released during World War II. And how they explain it in the film is that refugees would many times go through Casablanca when they were trying to get to America. That, that There was some sort of 
escape the Nazi trail, and it went through Casablanca, and that's where this takes place. So when watching an older movie, the question we have to ask before we start it, before we watch the movie for the millionth time, or maybe for the first time, is that we are watching this in 2020. This movie is from 1942, just like all the other older movies I've talked talked about in this new version of the show. And so we have to ask ourselves, how cringy is it going to be? Or how, by today's standards, how problematic is it going to be? Take all the controversy around Gone with the Wind, for instance. This movie doesn't have that, at least in my opinion. Because the main three characters throughout the, most of the movie, Humphrey Bogart, or let's call him by the character names, Rick, uh, Ilsa, and Victor, are all very against the Nazis. So yay, they're against the Nazis, we're on their side. So right off the bat, we can take solace in the fact that, they're, that we're rooting for the good guys. Any lack of diversity has been explained and is should really be obvious from the fact that where it takes place during what time. But you know what? We can we can breathe easy with a lot of that. It doesn't come anywhere close to passing the Bechdel test, but let's not get greedy. We have a classic American movie here, and it still really holds up. Because when you think of older movies, when you think of black and white, you really think of a lot of people talking really fast in that transatlantic accent and just kind of really hamming it up, really overacting. But of course, maybe that's what made people like Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman such fantastic and memorable actors from their time. So we have a good cast. We have a good plot. And like Brian Q has mentioned to me, that he was really impressed with the lighting in the film. So I did pay attention to it and it is really good. And not just the use of the lighting, but the use of the darkness as well. And knowing that if we, you know, if we shine this light from this angle, drape this part of the face in shadow, or that, hey, this person is in this corner of this room, the lights are out, so the light's going to be coming through this and hit her here. There was a lot of attention to detail put into this film. But not only that, it felt like every shot had a lot of attention to detail in it, especially when they were in Rick's club, especially the wide shots when Sam was playing, and uh, those were just wonderful shots. So we couple all that with the talents of Humphrey Bogart, and especially Ingrid Bergman in this. And it helps that her character is more than just some swooning damsel that's just waiting for a man to save her, because she does need help in this, but it's also very obvious, because guess what? Her badass former concentration camp inmate husband, Victor Laszlo, needs help too. There's only one person that can help him, and it's Rick. Guess who has a history with Rick? Ilsa does. Guess who's not on Rick's good side? Ilsa. And if I remember right, this film takes place over the span of two to three days. I believe it's it's two because I believe we see it the first day. Then Ilsa and Victor come into Rick's. They see each other for the first time. And then a good portion of it takes place at night where when she comes back, Rick is sitting in the bar drinking again, which we're to believe that he hasn't touched a drop since Paris, where he has had history with Ilsa. We know the next day that Victor and Ilsa are supposed to go to Captain Renault's office 
to talk with him and um, Major Strausser. And I believe the final scene of them getting on the plane and then um, Rick and Captain Renault walking away with the, you know, I think this is the start of a beautiful friendship. I think that takes place that night. So we have the, the course of technically a day and a half because Rick didn't even see them until later in the day. We have Rick having to come to terms with his heartbreak. And it seems like he's a good guy, because how many times do we watch something from the olden days, and he's kind of an asshole? Rick never really had that. He did have his moments when he was kind of being rude to them, but we know why. The asshole in this was really Captain Renault, who you can kind of see has some good in him, even though he's obviously making women sleep with him to get them papers to get out of the city. Yeah, kind of a creep. But we're to believe that there is some good in him, especially in the end. So we have Humphrey Bogart as this, as a stand-up good guy who just has to get over the fact that he found someone, fell in love, had his heart broken. She comes back into his life. Guess what? She was married. She just thought her husband was dead. And true, she does leave her fate in Rick's hands. Going over, Rick, I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do. Which I don't see as weakness in her character. I see that as more of just saying, I I honestly don't know what to do. I love Victor. I had this time with you. I fell for you. But guess what? My husband wasn't dead. He's back in my life. I love him. I love you. What's a girl to do? And the whole movie, we have this comparison between Rick Blaine and Victor Laszlo where Victor Laszlo is this war hero, or, you know, when the war's over, he will be a war hero, you know, full status, all the medals and everything. And then we have Rick, who has this really in-depth history that we never really learn. We know that he was a gun smuggler in, you know what, I can't remember where he smuggled guns in. And then he was in Spain, I guess, helping somewhere. So we're to assume, in another life, before he even met uh, Ilsa in Paris, Rick was a, a freedom fighter of sorts. He was a version of Victor Laszlo. So during the whole film, we have this obvious comparison of the two. Uh, the writers and uh, the director, Michael um, Curtis, was, were, wasn't too heavy handed with it, really. There, there were some obvious dialogue choices where we are to compare the, the two. But it's really up to us to see the difference and yet the similarities in them. So Casablanca is really looked at as this wonderful romance story, but it's it's not really. It's more of a it's more of a character drama for Rick Blaine because he is the one that has to make the key decisions in the movie. And true, we have Captain Renault making one of the bigger decisions. Because out of everyone who had the power to affect the outcome for Elsa and Victor, it was Rick and Captain Renault. But we have Rick, through this movie, deciding what kind of person he wants to be. And a key part of that is his relationship with Ilsa. He has this woman he loved so much. He wanted to get married. They were going to run away. She was going to run away with him. So she's not this evil woman who led him on. She honest to God thought her husband was dead. They were going to go. Guess what? Day before she finds out her husband's alive. Can't break his heart, which is one half a dick move. Another half. I really believe it. I, I, I believe that's a justifiable choice just because there's a f***ing war going on. The Nazis were marching on Paris. She has to come to terms with the fact that her beloved husband, 
who she thought was dead is alive, she had a lot going on. So like I said, one part dick move, one part, or maybe even two parts, understandable choice. Either way, no matter how understandable her choice was, Rick had to deal with the fallout. And I like that we didn't need a lot of, or any flashbacks into Rick's time post-Paris, because we can guess. We can guess by the rules he has, that he doesn't drink, he doesn't drink with patrons, that he has all these different rules that he never breaks until she comes back. Rules go out the window, his life changes, because she helps him remember what kind of man he can be. Because Rick has to go on to make a difficult choice, a choice that could cost him everything. So even though we have these wonderful heartfelt scenes between Rick and Ilsa, this is Rick's movie. This is a film about a wounded man on the road to redemption, or maybe just starting out the road to redemption. Okay, let me wrap this up. Look, I know when I'm talking about older films, I always bring up how they hold up now. And not every film has to be some wonderfully woke experience. Not every film has to be some perfectly unoffensive brotherly love fest. No, it doesn't, but it helps. It helps the better a film is by today's standards. It helps the re-watching of the film. Let's just say, let's just say for argument's sake, there was something really f***ed up about it. We could still watch this film, go, yeah, that part here is pretty f***ed up. We have to keep this in mind and be aware of it, but look how great this film still is. And let's use Gone with the Wind as an example. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know I don't like Gone with the Wind. But it has nothing to do with the cinematography, it has nothing to do with the score, it has nothing to do with the quality of the acting. I hate the story. I think the story is awful. I think they are horrible people who don't deserve happiness. But it still is a beautiful film. But with Casablanca, we don't have to think about that. We don't have to think about anything like that because it's okay. Sound of music. It's okay. Grease lost some points for me. Still a movie I'll go back to every once in a while. Maybe not any time in the next couple months, but sometime I want to rewatch films like Citizen Kane, uh, Rear Window, African Queen. Hell, let's even go to the 70s for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Apocalypse Now. All movies. Oh, and Vertigo. How could I almost forget about Vertigo? James Stewart, Kim Novak. Oh my God. Really? It's a great film. And even though I do love these films, as our sensibilities as a culture, as a people change, that has to be kept in mind. You can still love these old films. If you still like Gone with the Wind, you're not a terrible person. You just like a movie that has some issues. And you shouldn't be embarrassed for it. Maybe you just love Clark Gable and Vivian Lee. Maybe that's it. But that's why it makes me so happy when I watch an older film that I don't have to cringe during. I know some of you out there probably don't give a sh**. I know some of you could watch uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's or... You know what? One that has bothered me a lot recently is Revenge of the Nerds. And how out of the many, many horrible things the nerds did, Lewis rapes Betty. I can't go back and watch that movie. If I saw Revenge of the Nerds on sale somewhere, like Super Set, like a dollar for the Blu-ray set, I couldn't buy it today. But I bet you there are some of you out there who wouldn't have that problem, and that's fine. But for everyone else, during these older movies, these throwback movies I'm going to talk about, as long as the show is like this, uh, in this current format, I'm going to bring that up. I'm going to talk about how it compares to movies today in the forms of Things like social justice and wokeness. And that's why I'm especially going to rave about movies like Sound of Music and Casablanca. 
Casablanca gets an 11 out of 11. You know, I think time will tell us, really, what films can be watched without having to make the statement, oh, it was just the time. That was just a sign of the time then. And you know what? If Future Flex is still around at that time, I'll talk about it then. Well, my future friends, let us jump into our next film that we're going to talk about, and it's called My Spy. My Spy is an Amazon original released on June 26th this year, and it's about a hardened CIA operative who finds himself at the mercy of a precious nine-year-old girl having been sent undercover to surveil her family. This stars Dave Bautista from Guardians of the Galaxy, Chloe Coleman from Big Little Lies, Kristen Schaal from The Last Man on Earth, Parisa Fitzhenley from Luke Cage, and Ken Jeong from Community. This was directed by Peter Seagal, uh, no relation to the creepy Seagal, who directed movies like, I never knew this, Naked Gun 33 and a Third, Tommy Boy, My Fellow Americans, and The Longest Yard, to name a few. So this guy kind of knows what he's doing. And if you look at that list of movies that Peter Seagal has directed, oh, and let's also add Get Smart, Grudge Match, and 51st, 51st Dates to that, but all those movies have something in common. They're funny, but they're just okay. They're not the movies where you're like, you know what? You know what movie is going on my list of favorite movies of all f***ing time? <laughs> you know, I'll tell you that. It's My Fellow Americans. Yeah. To be fair, I do love that film. Uh, that was a film from mid-90s with uh, Jack Lemmon, James Garner, Dan Aykroyd, Wilford Brimley. Now I'm looking this up to <laughs> remember. John Hurd, Lauren Bacall, Asila Ward, Bradley Whitford. There's just a lot of people in this. And it was about two former presidents, one Republican, one Democrat, who, okay, get this, this is why it's a fictional movie, they work together. I know, crazy, right? They work together to take down a corrupt president. What kind of f***ing out there fiction is this? Oh, you know who else is in My Fellow Americans? <laughs> I'm sorry, I know we're talking about My Spy, but you know who else is in it is Everett McGill. And I always forget about this man until I watch one of two movies. He's been in a lot, but the two movies that remind me he is an actor is either Heartbreak Ridge or, even though I don't like him as a person, a Steven Seagal movie called Under Siege 2 Dark Territory. Okay, okay, back to my spy. So you know what I'm trying to say, right? By saying that Peter Seagal is the director, you kind of know what to expect. You're going to go into this and you're, you'll probably laugh. If you like his other films, if you like basic comedies, family comedies, you'll like this. It was a good film. I liked it. Will I watch it again? Eh, probably, yeah. Anytime soon? Probably not. Dave Bautista is good. I like him. I think he is a good actor. I think it just took a while for him to really start finding the roles that worked for him or that he could even stand out in. One of his earliest acting careers was a character on Smallville, like a forgettable character. I don't even remind him. Uh, rem remind him? I don't even remember him. Uh, one episode of Chuck. But now he's starting to get bigger roles, and I think he deserves them. He's he's good. Drax is an amazingly fantastic character. He's hilarious. And it's more than comedy with Drax, even though in, in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 it was mainly, but in 1 we saw more emotion from him. But movies like this are just part of cutting your teeth when you want to become a bigger actor. 
Hell, John Cena is still doing them. And we all know The Rock cut his teeth in those movies. Anyone, anyone remember Tooth Fairy or the Journey movies? God, I'm going off on a lot of tangents, aren't I? Um, I really don't know what else to say. I liked My Spy. It really didn't stand out in any other way for me. Just because I didn't really care enough about any specific person. And that kind of feels like a shitty thing to say about a character who's a nine-year-old girl. But, I mean... I, I do remember being her age. I do remember that the popular kids uh, sucked. And I do remember that once I kind of found my stride as a kid, which by as a kid, I mean almost 18, <laughs> I, it was much easier. But despite some of her childish problems being relatable to my own childhood and probably yours, I didn't really connect with any of the characters. So I was really just watching this as a comedy for the laughs because as, as far as the story went, I really didn't care one way or the other how it turned out. Of course, you know what? If everyone died, I would probably be disappointed. Call me crazy, but uh, I don't want to see everyone, including a nine-year-old girl and Dave Bautista die, especially in a family comedy. But most other acceptable endings for a PG-13 family comedy I would have accepted because I wasn't too attached to them. Uh, there were laughs in the film. I did enjoy quite a few scenes. It made me smile. Just like of a lot of Peter Seagal films. They, they were good. Fun. Maybe even had a memorable scene or two. But don't initially come to mind when you think about, you know what, I want to rewatch a great film. Oh, great film? Why not watch Tommy Boy? Why not watch Naked Gun 33 and 3rd? Why not watch Grudge Match, you know? Movies you could probably put on and enjoy, but nothing that just pops into your head. Like, yeah, that. But here's the thing. This is a family comedy. Like I've said maybe six times so far in this little part of the show, I think this is a good film. Even though it's PG-13, I think depending on your parenting style, it may be acceptable for others. Like in other countries, it's PG. In Canada, it's a PG movie. Because remember, the rating is kind of arbitrary. While there are certain rules that will make a movie an R film or certain things you definitely can't do in a G film, other than that, it's kind of an arbitrary guideline. But looking at the parent's guide on IMDb, uh, moderate violence and gore, just a lot of action. There's some profanity, some use of shit, bitch, dick, balls. The word f is mouthed and uh, ass is said a couple times. There's some casual drinking. I shouldn't have even mentioned that because if you're listening to the show, you're probably not that much of a prude. I'm just saying. Uh, no sex and nudity whatsoever, except for the fact that they mentioned that most women in the movie become instantly entranced by Dave Bautista's muscles. It's a running joke in the movie. And uh, there are a couple fight scenes as well. So look, not that bad. Personally, if you want, if you show your kids mainly PG movies, I would feel comfortable recommending this to you. For the rest of us, though, who either don't have kids or you don't really take that into account, this is fine. It's funny. It's enjoyable. It'll probably make you smile. And it's free if you have Amazon Prime. My Spy gets a 7 out of 11. Well, my future friends, that is it for the first part of the movies. Let us take a quick break as we hear a word from our friends at the Watch Your Mouth podcast and we'll be right back with the second half. Stay tuned. There are several ways to raise money for a good cause. Some do it by running marathons. Some host high-dollar dinners. And some just do it by clever internetting. We here at the Watch Your Mouth podcast employ a different approach. 
wall-to-wall filthy fucking language go to a grocery store i'm like i know exactly what i need i get in there i'm like yeah (laughs) did i even come here for with our charity swear jar every fucked up utterance from our unfettered gobs is a dime in the right direction the motherfucker's a mouth breather gaming movies life musings it's all here served on a bed of and garnished with a crown of shut the up how the did we get here fuck all that jelly bean so if you want to hear us do good things with bad words check out the watch your mouth podcast on i iTunes, SoundCloud, Facebook, or online at WIMpodcast.com. And remember, swearing is caring, so watch your mouth. Well, welcome back, future friends. Let us go into the next two movies, or the final two movies, that is, as we talk about Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. This is a Netflix original movie that came out back on June 26th, but still available on Netflix, of course. This is about aspiring musicians Lars and Sigrid, who form the group Fire Saga. They are given the opportunity to represent their country at the world's biggest song competition. Finally, they have the chance to prove that any dream worth having is a dream worth fighting for. This stars Will Ferrell from Step Brothers, Rachel McAdams from Mean Girls, Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey, Pierce Brosnan from GoldenEye, Demi Lovato from Camp Rock, Graham Norton from The Graham Norton Show, Mikhail Perstbrandt from The Hobbit Trilogy, and the first of two names in this second part of the show that I'm going to butcher, Olafur Dari Olafsson. Oh, actually, that wasn't that bad. Good, good job, me. I probably mispronounced his middle name, so uh, sorry, guy. He's from Nosferatu. So this is the second comedy on our list. This is a musical comedy, but not musical in the way that like Newsies or hell, Hamilton, the next one we're going to talk about is this is just musical in the sense that it has music in it. Think of the woefully awful Bohemian Rhapsody or The Doors with Val Kilmer where there's music in it, but it's not a musical per se. So if you are from America, which most of my listeners are, but if you're not, hi. I see you. But if you're from America, you might not be familiar with the Eurovision Song Contest. It is apparently this huge song contest that all European countries take place in. I don't I don't really know. But this is a big deal that's held once a year. It's kind of like think think of it like American Idol or America's Got Talent or the sing off. Not sing off. Well, yeah, that too. All these song competitions, but for an entire continent. And in this contest, each country picks one group from their country to represent them. They go to this contest and they basically sing the same song each time. So so in that way, it's not like watching a new episode of American Idol going, ooh, what song is my favorite contestant going to sing today? Is American Idol still on the air? I don't know. The, um, the Voice, that's one that's still on the air. So it's not like The Voice, where they sing something different each time. They just they sing the same song. And fun fact that this movie taught me that I didn't know that I bet you a lot of people out there knew, probably a lot of listeners are going, well, f***ing duh, was that ABBA was on Eurovision back in the 70s at some time. And they represented, was it Sweden, I think? Yep, they are a Swedish band. They took place in 1974 and they won for with their song Waterloo. Yes, that's the same ABBA that has an entire musical based around them. Well, here we go again. Well, I'm sorry, that was bad, but I'm going to keep it because it's bad and it was improv and that is why I no longer do improv. This is a Will Ferrell comedy. You know exactly what to expect. You know exactly what you're getting into. This has Will Ferrell's chaotic energy in it. 
and it has his his ability to do accents kind of where you can definitely tell where he's trying to pretend he's from but it's not really that great but it's good enough to work for a movie like this and out of a lot of the feedback i've seen or the reviews of this movie there were two main negative things the first is that there are some people that just don't like it okay that's fine good for you like Honestly, if you don't like it, if you are not a fan of Will Ferrell, I know plenty of those people. That's fine. Don't watch his film. If you do, you probably won't like it. So why the f*** did you watch it in the first place? But I also saw a lot of people angry. It felt like they were angry that America seemed to be making fun of Eurovision. And you know what? For that, I have to say, we do, you don't need our help to make fun of Eurovision. Just a simple Google search about Eurovision shows a multitude of articles where, like, Half of them seem to take it really seriously and are super proud of it. The other half thinks that Eurovision is a joke and these are European countries. And even in America, our song contests are still kind of a joke. That's why it's amazing when we have someone from these contests that make it so big, like Kelly Clarkson, like um, those other people. Uh, Carrie Underwood, that's another one. Or, um, you know, those other people that win these things. That's why it's so impressive when they actually make it, because... Eurovision and the American shows are just a popularity contest, and they're also contests that applaud idiocy. If you're a lovable idiot, you will make it. You might not win, but you'll make it pretty far in these contests. If you don't believe me and you're from America, just remember William Hung. If you don't remember him, just look him up, watch his American Idol edition, and then you will remember him. He was the one that sang She Bangs, and he was horrible. Simon Cowell just hated him so much. Everyone hated him. He did not make it to the next round, but he got a record deal and he released like three or four albums and he went on tour because he was a huge joke, but he was also endearing. He was kind. He had that drive. I have a confession. I love Jedward. Ever since Anne introduced me to them and their rendition of the Ghostbusters theme song on Britain's Got Talent or whatever it was, I love them. They are ridiculous. They are great. They made it to the second round. Okay, what is it called? To the semifinals, eventually making it to eighth place. And they are goofy as fuck. But Jedward, Lipstick by Jedward, I fucking love it. So what was that almost five minute rant about? Basically, the people that get angry that America was making fun of Eurovision, well, yeah, but so do you. But to make fun of us a little, we also don't have a lot of original ideas and steal a lot of our competition ideas from the UK. So there we go. But Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. Uh, the music was good. I was disappointed that it's not really them singing. I guess for some of it, it might be Will, Will Ferrell because it wasn't very good. But the Rachel McAdams parts apparently weren't her. And that, that actually disappointed me because I didn't expect her to be fantastic. I expected it to be honest. Well, at least honest in the sense that it's really her singing. And so we're supposed to root for these people who aren't great singers. But you know what? I liked the music. The story was was obvious and basic, but also fun. The main downside, though, was that Will Ferrell's character was a huge asshole. He was irredeemable. Though Will Ferrell plays those characters well. He plays this kind of idiot asshole quite well but most of the time we can maybe go maybe he has a mental illness and maybe that's why this character is like this but in eurovision song contest it's more like he's an idiot and an asshole the only really good character was rachel Mc rachel mcadams's uh secret 
Pierce Brosnan's uh, Pierce Brosnan's portrayal of Will Ferrell's character's father was just, he was just this hateful old man. Hell, even Dan Stevens' character of Alexander uh, Lemtov was better than Will Ferrell's character because even though he was a creepy sex fiend, he does have character growth that Will Ferrell never gets. So the bonus of Dan Stevens' character in Eurovision is that we get to have this small side story about Russia's less-than-stellar track record with with uh, LGBTQ rights. And I do think that my lack of empathy or understanding or even any lack of enjoyment for Will Ferrell's character did have a negative effect on the movie, even though I did like the movie. Maybe I'll watch it one day again, sure, because it's a fun musical comedy or comedy with music in it, but it could have been so much more if Lars was a likable character at all, other than just kind of a self-important, self-centered piece of shit. That being said, the score on this movie isn't going to be terrible. Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga, is a funny movie. It is worth a shot, and it gets a 7.5 out of 11. All right, folks, next up we have Hamilton. That's right, Hamilton on Disney Plus, the super popular Broadway show that every time it came to my area, there was only a wait list for. So I don't know how these other motherfuckers got the tickets so quick, but I would go on the day it would go on sale, the time it would go on sale, and it's like, oh, do you want to be put on a wait list? The only other option was to... Every day, every day there was a performance at every time of the performance, drive up to San Francisco and wait in front of the theater to be put in a random lottery. And I knew people that would do that, that would drive from Santa Cruz, which is about, you know, let me actually find out how much of a drive it really is. So that's an hour and a half drive, give or take. You know, the amount of times I've driven that, I really should have known that. But I knew people that would drive from this area just to wait in front of the theater just to try and get tickets to see this play. There are Hamilton super fans. Hell, a book I read called What If It's Us, one of the main characters was one of these Hamilton super fans. The kind of person that, if you even let on that you've never heard Hamilton, would shove the CD so far down your throat they could pull it out of your ass. My former boss at the uh, company I work for, the uh, grocery store, I changed departments, not, you know, not uh, full places, but my former boss was one of those people and she would play me a song every time we closed together and she'd be like dancing around and I don't know why, what it is about me and what it says about me that whenever there's something like this that has super fans, they f***ing piss me off. I don't care if I like it too. I like Hamilton. I watched it. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really well done. Super fans piss me off. Some of my best friends are super fans for, oh, what's that stupid f***ing show? Um, Steven Universe. And they sing Steven Universe songs all the time. They, they want to cosplay for a, an anime convention as Steven Universe characters, even though it's not a f***ing anime. And I will now not watch it on purpose, which is a lie. I tried to watch it and I didn't like it, but I, I don't know what it says about me. But super fandom just really annoys me. I loved Hamilton. I don't know what that says about Hamilton, besides it being fantastic that even with my amazing prejudice of the fan base going into it, that I loved it so much. I'm not going to go around and sing the songs and start being those people, but I enjoyed it immensely. But here's the thing. Before I watched it, I had to go in aware of being aware of the people who didn't like it. 
And I'm not just saying they simply didn't like it. I'm saying that they're the type of people who started the cancel Hamilton hashtag. So I, I looked into that and I have a acquaintance that's one of those people and so I was well aware of their concerns going into it their major concerns are that it kind of it tries to I don't want to use the word whitewash but just kind of erase the history of slavery from the founding of our country that was their problem that it didn't meant it didn't mention slavery and some people also have the weird idea that it exploits people of color to have them play these white people like black people and other people of color are playing slave owners so I tried to go into Hamilton with an open mind, but I have to say there was a lot going against it and a lot going for it. Uh, I love musicals. I love Broadway. I love that sh I like Lin-Manuel Miranda. I've seen him in other things. Oh, I, I never said who's in this. There's actually people in this that you may know. There's Lin-Manuel Miranda from Mary Poppins Returns, Philippa Sue from Smash, David Diggs from Wonder, Renee Elise Goldsberry from Altered Carbon, Leslie Odom Jr. from Murder on the Orient Express, Jonathan Groff from Mindhunter, Anthony Ramos from A Star is Born, and the second name this episode that I'm going to butcher is Okirete Onaudawan, I think, from Station 19. Okay, so now we did that part. And I like Lin-Manuel Miranda, as I was saying. So, so Hamilton had that going for it. But against it, it had this, my knowledge of the people who don't like it and the reasons they don't, and also the superfans who I hate. And I have to admit, as I was, as the play was starting on Disney+, Plus, I was concerned. Because I had a hard time initially following the music, following the words. Because I don't know if you've ever seen a musical before, but it's kind of hard to hear what they're saying some of the times. Be it an old school musical like Singing in the Rain or Fiddler on the Roof. To more modern things like uh, Hamilton and Rent. It's not always the easiest, but as the play went on, I started to follow it a lot easier and the songs were really catchy. The choreography was very impressive. The whole thing looked wonderful and I was really glad we got to see Hamilton the way it is on stage with maybe the benefits of some close-up shots from the cameraman, but otherwise, we get to see the stage production with, for me, the added benefit of my fat ass not being in one of those terribly, terribly small chairs. Like when I saw Rent live, I loved it immensely, but I was super uncomfortable the whole time because I was like hugging myself going, don't let the fat spill out and touch that person's hand next to you. So I didn't have to put up with that. Yay for me. So that was a bonus. It also had the bonus of me really loving the that guy whose name I couldn't really say. I'm just going to say the first part because I think I did that pretty well. Okirete, or I'm, I'm sorry, guy. You're fantastic, and I thought you were amazing, and I cannot say your name. So I liked a lot of the characters. I liked him, and I learned that I love Jonathan Groff, and that not only is he amazingly handsome, but he can sing like a motherfucker. And I would like a spinoff play just about King George. So it's just Jonathan Groff. You can put the others in there. I love David Diggs. He's amazing. Uh, Renee Elise Goldsberry was really, really good. So is uh, Philippa Sue. So what this rambling is supposed to say is that I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was well done. I thought these songs were really good. It looked beautiful. It was just really well presented. And if you've ever seen it, you know some of these... Actors play two roles. David Diggs, um, oh, I didn't mention her in the opening for this segment. Jasmine Cephas-Jones, um, that guy whose name I can't say, and Anthony Ramos. 
play two characters apiece. And I'm glad that when they switched characters, it was between the two main parts of the play. So they can just introduce this person who we've seen before and go, oh, hello, Thomas Jefferson, or hello, Marquis de Lafayette. So we know now that David Diggs has changed characters. Oh, and by the way, uh, someone else I forgot to mention was Chris Jackson, who is on the show Bull, I think is on CBS. It's one of those shitty police procedurals, but he is fantastic in Hamilton as George Washington. Correction, it's not a police procedural, it's a, it's a law show, but still, it's crap. So I was sitting there really liking this, and I was paying attention, I was paying attention to the things they said. And they do mention slavery in the play. And one of the critiques is that it doesn't mention it. And let's be honest, it doesn't mention a lot. It only comes up a couple times. When, let's also be honest, our country was founded on slavery. Which, unless your name is Tom Cotton and you're a huge asshole, is a bad thing. But another one of the, the arguments against Hamilton is that it tries to wash his hands of slavery. But one of the characters from the first part of the play... The character of John Lawrence was against slavery, wanted to see America become an emancipated country, wants to see the end of slavery. So when he dies and he tries to pass the baton of that to Thomas Jefferson, he's just, not Thomas Jefferson, to Alexander Hamilton, he's just kind of like, nah, I'm never going to mention this again. I know this dear friend of mine wanted to end slavery, but f*** it. And another critique that people have of the play was that it makes Hamilton look like some sort of hero. And to that, I ask, did you watch the play? Did you actually watch it? Or were you just like made up your mind before you even sat down? Because if you actually watched Hamilton, you would know that it what it is doing. It's saying, hey, look, he was brilliant. He helped found America, we might not have been able to do it without him, but he's also a gigantic asshole. In the entire play, Hamilton is the least likable, least understandable character. I understood Aaron Burr, the guy who kills him, more than I did Alexander Hamilton. King George, the guy that they were trying to escape by coming to America, the guy that fought them to keep them within the British Empire, was a more relatable character than Alexander Hamilton. He is an asshole. So all of these people who critiqued it by saying, oh, it makes it paints him in this wonderful light, makes him look like a hero. I don't know what you watched, but you obviously did not watch Hamilton. So when I finished watching Hamilton, I realized that the people who didn't like it for those particular issues were wrong. It's not even an opinion thing. You are wrong. If you don't like it for other reasons, maybe you just didn't like it. Maybe you hate Hamilton so much, like as a person, that you couldn't like it. That's fine. You are justified in that dislike. And to the people that critiqued it for saying that it's it's exploiting black people and other people of color by having them play slave owners. How about instead of looking at it like that, we look at it in the sense that look at this wonderfully diverse cast. The only person in the main cast... And as far as I can tell, in the entire play that was fully white, the only person was Jonathan Groff playing King George. Even the woman who played uh, uh, Eliza is half Chinese, which I just learned because of her name, Sue. And I, I did look it up to make sure I wasn't just making some super racist assumption. How is that a bad thing? Because look at the other really famous Broadway plays. 
and you will see so many white people that it might as well be a NASCAR event. I do not begrudge Lin-Manuel Miranda at all for casting people of color in this, because I think it serves to show that the color of the skin of the person in the role doesn't matter. What matters is their performance. He picked fantastic people for these roles. He picked fantastic people. David Diggs is amazing. Renee Elise Goldsberry has a powerful voice. These people are top tier. What do you mean, you people? <laughs> These people are really, really good. So what have we learned? What have we learned? We have learned that I like Hamilton. I don't like Hamilton himself as a human being because he's kind of a piece of shit, though I do have to acknowledge that he did a lot to help build the country. We learned my view on the Cancel Hamilton movement, that I think most of them are just either dumb or just misinterpreted the play. And we learned that I can like something despite hating the fan base. Hamilton gets an 11 out of 11. Oh, I miss the old show so much. I really do. I really, really miss it. I mean, I, I like this. This is fine. But I just think the other format of the show is better. You know, talking about the movies that are coming out, me going on rants when I hate a uh, hate a trailer. I think those rants are better quality because they can be more funny because I don't I haven't actually seen the film. I love the anticipation of a great movie, and I can't wait for everything to get back to normal, but I'm also not an idiot, and I know that we're nowhere near done with COVID country. This is going to take a while. It's going to take a while because we have idiots going, I don't want to wear a mask. The government's infringing on my right to breathe. But you know what? I can't wait. I cannot wait for, for the old style of show. I, I was talking to a co-worker today about the old style of show and because he was wondering how it differs because I, I guess he's listened to a few old older episodes maybe back when I was starting and and maybe it wasn't his thing I he obviously still doesn't listen which you know whatever you don't like it that's fine I don't like Joe Rogan or Adam Carolla's podcast and they're two of the most popular podcasters in the world your show's not going to be for everyone so is mine but I was talking to him about what I'm doing now and I just I miss it so much, you know? That's a sixth, seventh time I've said that already in just this last couple of minutes, but this is our, what, third, fourth year doing the show? Four years. Four years and 176 episodes later. But my future friends, for now, because we still live in the world that we do, I'm going to keep doing this show. So let's take our final break. As we hear a word from our friends at We're Doing Fine with Robbie and Lisa, then we'll be right back. I will tell you about the movies we're going to do next week, and we'll talk about the question of the week. So please stay tuned. Hi, I'm Lisa. And I'm Robbie. And we host a show called We're, we're Doing, Doing Fine. Fine. We're friends from across the ocean. I'm from Scotland. And I'm from California. Join us every week as we chat about biscuits. You mean cookies. Brexit. Whatever's going on here. Who knows? Almost dying. Why we're single. Popular culture. And basically everything and anything that can distract us from this postmodern hellscape we're all living in. Because we're, we're doing, doing fine. fine. All right, my future friends, welcome back. It is time for the question of the week. And then I'll discuss with you the movies for next week. But if you do not remember, the question of the week for the last episode was, what is your favorite movie with an LGBTQ protagonist? I know it's no longer Pride Month. That was last month. But hey, better late than never, right? And the only answer we got outside of the household was Brian Q, who said... 
Top Gun. And maybe you know something about Maverick that I don't. Or hey, maybe Kelly McGill's Charlie was a man. I don't know. I mean, that's a lie. I do know. But I get it. You were referencing the um, the famous volleyball scene, which is just a wonderful scene of slow-mo, uh, uh, hunky, topless guys. So yeah, I can see where you're coming from. From inside this house, we have Anne who says Booksmart. You've heard me mention Booksmart quite a few times on the show. It was even one of the movies we're talking about during this new format from 2019 starring Caitlin Daver and uh, Beanie Feldstein, which was compared to a, a kind of female-focused super bad, which kind of does the movie a disservice. But Caitlin Deaver's character, Amy, is gay and is looking for her first experience. And that is one of the subplots of the movie. But if you haven't seen the film, watch it. Booksmart is fantastic. And it's not even that long if you don't have a lot of time. It's an hour, 42 minutes. So do it. It's also uh, free to watch on Hulu. And it's time for my answer. And um, if you know me well enough, you know what that answer is. The answer is Love, Simon. It's a movie from 2018 based on a book called Simon versus the Homo Sapia Agenda. And it also has a spinoff sequel TV series called Love, Victor. This stars Nick Robinson, Jennifer Garner, Josh Dumel, Catherine Langford, Alexandra Shipp, Logan Miller, uh, Tony Hale. And it's about a young man named Simon who is currently in the closet. And he sees on this kind of like maybe like Facebook, Reddit, Tumblr-ish thing that his school has that that's anonymous someone comes out and says oh i'm gay so he starts talking to this guy anonymously and really they start to develop feelings for each other then simon gets blackmailed when another one of his classmates finds out that he's gay and then he must come to terms with the fact that he may be outed i think it's a wonderfully done movie i think the cast is amazing i love the book one of my favorite books but also one thing in my opinion that the movie does better than the book it's the character of martin and so you watch the movie you see martin especially in that in martin's final scene in the film and you will understand why well my future fans it is time for the next question of the week which is a question that ann helped me come up with that question is what is a movie that you really love but have only seen once so this is going to be a movie that you would give a five star rating to or if you're using the future flick score an 11 out of 11 it blew your mind you can't believe how great it was but you've only seen it one time so once again what's a movie you love but have only seen it once all right my friends let us discuss the movies we're going to be watching for next week i'm sorry not next week in two weeks and the movies are palm springs on hulu Lovebirds on Netflix, The Big Sick on Amazon Prime, and our throwback film goes all the way back to the 90s and its Sister Act. So once again, Palm Springs, Lovebirds, The Big Sick, and Sister Act. Kumail Nanjiani is in two of these films, so you're welcome. So my future friends, without further ado, let us jump into the closing housekeeping. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and any podcast app, as well as the Somewhat Nerdy website. That is somewhatnerdy.com. I would really appreciate it if you take a few minutes out of your day to give the podcast a rating. I would love five stars, please. And also, share the podcast. Share with your friends. That is how we grow here on the show. And then how do you reach me? That is a great question. 
You can leave a comment for me on the Somewhat Nerdy website or Facebook page. You can leave a comment on SoundCloud. You can hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at BilliamSWN. You can email me at BilliamReviews at gmail.com. And please consider supporting the show on Patreon. You can find a link in the show notes and also on the Somewhat Nerdy site. Be sure to check out the other shows in the network, Somewhat Nerdy Radio and Nerds of the Squared Circle. Don't forget to support the friends of the show. You've heard their ads tonight. Please check out my personal blog, BilliamTheNerd.com. And then finally, my dear friends, my dear, dear listeners, my future friends, please remember that no matter where life takes you, no matter what your week has in store, just take some time to catch a flick. I'm Billion from Somewhat Nerdy signing off, and I'll see you in the future. <laughs>